Hold it. You need to listen to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Triple H, I don't need your cell phone tonight. I got a direct line. This is Stone Cold Steve Austin, and let me just say that your voice sounds as sweet now as it did last Monday night. You son of a You see, Undertaker, it was me all along. It was Stone Cold Steve Austin. But I didn't do it by myself. Everybody needs a partner in crime. Just like the one standing behind you right now. We are the judge. We are the jury. Are we the executioner? Let's find out together. Welcome everybody to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, where we go back in the time machine for the second occasion this month to look at all things canonical and important in the World Wrestling Federation in May 2001. If you missed our first part, looking at the Insurrection pay-per-view, and it was quite good, honest, then do check that one out first in the likely event you haven't already. Here, though, we have a proper pay-per-view by the name of Judgment Day and some huge TV matches to discuss. Joining me today is a man who is very proud to call himself a WWF guy, although I have never yet heard him utter the words, Yes, sir, Mr. McMahon. Maybe today will be the day for Mr. Davinda Vargas. Davinda, welcome back to the show. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm in. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. I, I always uh, have a good time talking to you and the other guys from across the pond uh, about some good old wrestling. I'm ready always. to go. Always great to have you on, my friend. So this is the part of proceedings where I would take you through all the news and hot goss for the month. But other than the XFL not being renewed for a second season, and who is really shocked by that, there's not too much going on. I will drop in some bits and pieces as we go to add some context to the action we will be discussing for the next two hours. But otherwise, this edition will be, as it has to be, extremely in-ring heavy. Despite that, though, there is one storyline I wanted us to have a chat about before we ring the bell. And that is, well, what looks to me like the WWF's version of a Saturday morning on Nickelodeon romance. And you know what? I think they're doing a pretty fine job of it. Have a listen to this. Team turmoil last night. I had no idea that my cousins were going to get involved and cost the W's the match. And I know that Hardcore and Crash are wrestling Devon and Bubba tonight. And I just want to say, I really had nothing to do with any of this. I know, I know. I don't want you to feel bad. I know you didn't have anything to do with this. The Dudleys, the Hollies, they're fighters. They're going to fight. There's nothing we can do. But I just wanted to let you know, uh, I got you a little good luck present for the match tonight. You and, did? Uh, <laughs> oh, my you know, Wear them with pride. <laughs> So, what you heard there was one of many segments involving the burgeoning relationship, if we can call it that yet, between Spike Dudley, yes, that one, and Molly Holly, yes, that one. Their respective families might not like the idea that they like each other, the Hollies don't trust the Dudleys, and the Dudleys just want to put that bitch through a table, 
charming, but in amongst all of the hurly-burly testosterone flowing about, the main protagonists are finding time for a little bit of love to blossom. Spike even lay himself on a table to save Molly being put through it by the Montague, sorry, the Dudleys, easy mistake to make. Devinda, we have talked about possible love stories on these shows in the not-too-distant past, but they were just silly crushes. Damn it, this is the real thing. Oh, this is the real thing. I am totally ruined for these kids. It's it's um it's something relatable. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's not too cheesy to the point that you kind of groan and roll your eyes. It's something that you you get a kick out of your and and it's a good thing that obviously these both of these characters are are faces, so you find yourself cheering for them collectively. You have a, a great mix and match between uh you can get a lot of matches out of these whether they're singles matches between the teams or a tag team match or uh, Spike fighting the Hollies for her love or to court her. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a fun little storyline and it's a storyline that is under the main event, which is ma- very, very important. This shows that they take time with their characters and they, they invest into them and they give them the time on TV to develop as characters and as actors in the story that they're telling. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that they're being given the time to have a storyline that has a beginning, a middle and an end. Ever since Chris Kresge stood down or was stood down towards the end of last year and Stephanie McMahon, creative genius and all that, the mid card really has been wallowing quite a lot. They haven't had a whole lot to do. Lots of interchanging matches between a lot of people, but what you would call bona fide storylines have been rather thin on the ground. Now, I don't know who's come up with this one. I do have my theories, as I'll get to in a second. One thing I really do like about it is that it is episodic television. Now, the WWF tell us that that's what they present, but a lot of the time, I'm not sure how true that is, especially for underneath the main event. But this one is built on every Raw and every SmackDown throughout the entire month. At the moment, where we are on the SmackDown we just finished watching a couple of hours ago, it looks like Spike has had it with the Dudleys himself, and he's going to go out there on his own, which I think is rather lovely, to be perfectly honest with you. If you've seen Beyond the Mat and I'm sure everybody listening to this has, in between Vince McMahon eating water and Dennis Stamp not getting booked, you would have seen a bloodied Spike Dudley telling the interviewer how much he likes Shakespeare, as you do when you just had an ECW brawl where you tell everybody how much you love taking bumps. So I do wonder if he is having a hand in what is pretty much a Romeo and Juliet-esque storyline here. I wouldn't be surprised. One thing he did actually say during that interview too, Spike, he was asked what his favourite Shakespeare play was, and he said Henry the Fourth Part Two, and that is very much the purest answer. I tried to reread Henry the Fourth Part Two this week for this podcast, and even for a bit of a Shakespeare aficionado like me, it's very, very heavy going. And I think it's probably just as well that they're not drawing on that for too much of the storyline here. I don't really think that Spike as Falstaff and Molly as Doll Tear Sheet would really work very well. I mean. The idea of her calling him a sweet little rogue, I love thee, thou art as valorous as Hector of Troy, worth five of Agamemnon and ten times better than the nine worthies. That might be a little bit high concept for the WWF standard audience. I might get a bit of a kick out of it. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> you got you to think of the market. You can't be... You definitely that. do, yes. I think mean, we're going to follow Devinda, all There's a reason that the WWF don't cater to me alone. Okay, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, am, I am but one man in this situation. I, I very much understand that. But going for the good old Romeo and Juliet, Juliet, I think is fantastic. I hope it doesn't have the ending that Romeo and Juliet had. There was no tale as full of woe as that of Holly and Spike. E-O. doesn't quite work so I don't, or molly i should say 
That part actually it was, it was a hell of a swerve, though, in Shakespeare, though. It very much was. <laughs> <laughs> the Bruce Lee obviously. I did say Holly there. That was a bit of a bit of a slip because in a great segment with Kurt Angle, he actually called her Holly when he approached her. That was when he said, "What is this? Saved by the Bell?" And the fact that Spike is now interacting, which is <laughs> just, just brilliant, isn't he? So the fact that Spike is now interacting with somebody like Angle as part of this, and he had a fairly competitive match with him on SmackDown in a losing effort, but he did get some revenge the next week on Raw by helping Angle to a defeat. The way that Spike is being presented, I suggested this on the other show this month too, is very, very encouraging. As somebody who's barely 150 pounds sopping wet, we know what Vince McMahon would normally think about somebody like that. But... I do think his association with his bigger brothers does help him in the eyes of the people backstage, but it's encouraging for other <clears throat> vanilla midgets, not my expression, going forward, I think, Devinder. I think it's great that somebody who isn't your archetypal WWF superstar is getting something to really sink his teeth into. You know, to add to your point, I think the reason that, you know, he's being featured uh, heavily and in, in, in an encouraging way is not from what he's doing in the ring. You know, mm-hmm. you know, Vince has the, uh, the eight by 10 image, as they say, uh, for somebody that he wants to push in the ring to have those wins in the ring. But, uh, the point needs to be made that Spike is telling these stories outside of the ring. You don't really need, uh, a certain image or a certain look to do that. Once, once he, once we saw that he was accomplishing getting the story across and getting the story over, I think he immediately got Vince's trust and it had nothing to do with what he looked like. As long as he was telling the story correctly and getting it across well, I think that's that's all he needed. Definitely. I think he's really the only person, because he is already such a sympathetic character, and Molly is as well, it was just written for these two. So when you have, <laughs> love thinking about it, when you have Spike Dudley turn to the camera, fix it head on and then say, Molly, I've got a message for you. I really, really like you. And I didn't want to throw a brick at my television. That's a very good sign. No, because you're, you're looking at your younger brother like, hell yeah, like, go get her. Like, you, know? you, go, you go for it. Never mind those big brutes. You Come on, Spike. Go ahead. You give him a smack on the ass. Like, go ahead. You fucking get her. And I hope this storyline ends the right way. Let's just say oh, that. You, you can never be I certain mean, with the Federation. Why would it, why would it end the right way? Aww. <laughs> oh. If it ends with us all saying, ah, oh, then we've got there, I think. Exactly. But it's more likely with Vince McMahon at the helm, it will end, ugh, and I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Spreading the love on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast today in the first 10 minutes. Right. That's quite enough of that nonsense. Let's get to the serious stuff. We're jumping straight to the pay-per-view today. As I say, we've got a lot to get through. So, Davinda, do you have the results for our Judgment Day pay-per-view that took place a week or so ago? Show opened with uh, William Regal defeating uh, Rikishi. Then we moved on to Kurt Angle against Chris Benoit in a two out of three falls match for Angle's Olympic gold medals. Uh, first fall was a pinfall. Then we went to a submission match, and then we finished off with a ladder match. Um, next match was a triple threat match for the Hardcore Championship. Rhino defeated the Big Show and Test. And then we moved on to the women's championship being contested for uh, between China and Lita, where China was the winner. Then we moved on to Kane defeating Triple H for the Intercontinental Championship. Next was the tag team turmoil match, uh, pretty much showcasing all of the tag team division, ending with Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho defeating Edge and Christian to become number one contenders for the WWF Tag Team Championship. 
And then Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated The Undertaker in a no-holds-barred match for the WWF Championship. What did you think of this pay-per-view? It wasn't much, but it, it, there's three, four matches. Everything else was pretty... I, I see what they're trying to do, but it just it didn't it didn't come across well for me. There were some matches that did what they had to do, and that was about it. But it's pretty much just the night of Benoit and um, two man power trip against Brothers of Destruction. Yes, and everything else was just everything else. Very much yeah. clear from the very start what really mattered on this show, and they made sure we knew about it to the detriment of a lot of the lower card stuff, which just was not given time or any real credence whatsoever i think i did enjoy this show a little bit more than backlash because i think because it spent so much time on the main event main event players and they know who they are it was a pay-per-view that was very certain of itself whereas backlash seemed rather cautious for whatever reason so it did have that going for it but i did have a lot of problems throughout the two hours 40 minutes i'm afraid to say and we will pick through some of those over the next hour or so but let's get to it Going into it, it was the two-man power trip against Brothers of Destruction that sold the pay-per-view. Definitely, and it was just it was just a lot of fun tag team champions, but also WWF and Intercontinental Cha- uh, Intercontinental Champion, excuse me. And that was pretty much what sold the show and what got people uh, hooked. Did it keep us hooked? Let's find out. So, Judgment Day 2001 in Sacramento, California. The video package for this one is rather interesting. A bearded preacher telling us that Judgment Day is upon us. And I think they put a few pounds into the presentation of that one. The guy does look a bit like Noddy, but what of that? And the crowd in Sacramento are hot by the sounds of it. As we start with who JR calls the real pompous ass William Regal. He is due to face Rikishi. He has a warning for him. If you put your disgusting bum in my face, the consequences will not only be severe, they will be permanent. So Rikishi goes for the sink face very quickly, but Regal is in with a low blow. Huge Regal sucks chance as the punches go in, but my ears are turned by Heyman still trying to get physical commissioner over. Not going to work, Paul. Rikishi misses a sit-down splash as Regal finds time for a little wave. Rikishi, though, mows him down in the corner, and maybe now we will get to see it. And we do indeed, and I quote, get a good look at this bomb. Regal sells it brilliantly. In fact, though, I'm not sure it really is selling. (laughs) Thrust kick follows, but then the injured shoulder hits ring post. Regal is bleeding from a shot to the steps, but that doesn't stop him getting off the cravat suplex thing and securing the three count. That, much like Rikishi's attire, was a little on the brief side. And Davinda, it does not bode well for Rikishi's rather sudden babyface turn. Uh, yeah, this didn't help Rikishi as much as it didn't really do anything for Regal. Um, it was it was a good match to open uh open up the show in terms of uh the fan interaction. Regal is a hell of a heel. He knows how to get under people's skin. Rikishi is Rikishi. Um he had the people behind him and he has his fans back. Um I just feel it was a it was the wrong finish in terms of the future of both of these characters. I do think in fairness Rikishi is legitimately injured, which might explain the brevity of the match, but even so this is not a very good sign. And they turned him back babyface again at the start of a month. <laughs> because they were just trying so hard, bless them. You know, the way he comes out, he's got his glare, he's got his sunglasses, he's got his music that actually tells us he's a bad man, just to make sure they get it. And now he just turns back face again, and he's losing to Regal in three minutes. <laughs> they want to get doing the comedy <laughs> dancing thing again. And I think that time has passed now. 
it, it, it just could be a testament to how good Regal is. I mean, his facial expressions, the mic work to open the show, he knows how to get the heat. Um, he's, he's that damn good. Um, you know, no pun intended, but <laughs> yeah, um, I, I do one thing, one thing I was confused about how, how, um, the ref did not see the low blow for the first attempt of the stink face. Yes. I feel like it was right in front of him and it was. Even if he was peeking over Rikishi's shoulder to the point where he didn't see it, there's no logic there. There's, it wouldn't make any sense for him to be looking over his shoulder. Um, other than that, I don't know if you noticed, but Rikishi is, like I said, he has his fans back and to the point that I think it was the second attempt for the stink face, um, had a hard cam and the camera was just shaking with the, with the yeah. reaction of the crowd. Yeah, it's, it's always going to be there now. And I think as people enjoyed his first face run so much, they might, and I stress might, be able to latch back onto that a little bit. But that heel turn was just so misguided. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong reason. That they're now well behind the eight ball with Rikishi. And I don't know where else they go with him from this point. If you are just going to make him the comedy mid-card dancing guy again, then fair enough. But then it just writes off the previous eight months with what they tried to do with him. And I do feel sorry for him to a degree because he put a lot of effort into his heel run. Nobody can really dispute that. But this is his level. It's another situation where if they are happy with that, then me criticising where somebody is on the card and what they do. I'm wasting my breath in some regard. But they tried Rikishi as a near main event heel. It didn't work. And it looks like we're going to be shocking and diving for a few and, more and, years yet. You know, when, when you talk about that, it might be where he's happy too. True. But Absolutely. He, he can just say, you know what? I'm good. I'm good just out there having fun and interacting with the fans. This is, this is my niche. Work for three minutes, then shake your ass for two more minutes at the end of the match. Yeah. And get a nice check at the end of the week. And I'm just sat here talking about it. He's definitely got it right after all. Yes, sir. <sighs> Let's move on. Edge and Christian talk about winning their tag team turmoil match later and how worried they are, or not, about Chris Jericho's mystery partner. Angle pops in looking for help in case his match goes to a third fall, but he doesn't get more than don't fall off, which is still rather good advice. And now Triple H and Stephanie turn up. Vince asks why they involved Sarah in their hoax last week. More on that later. It is against the sanctity of marriage, after all. But Triple H rightly brings up the hypocrisy there. So let's get to our second match. Yes, only match number two. It's Chris Benoit versus Kurt Angle for Angle's stolen gold medals. Fall one, pinfall only. Fall two, submission only. And fall three, if needed, a ladder match with the medals hung high. Okay, Angle is here first and he tells us that today the medals come home. They go from resting against Chris Benoit's genitals to going around his neck once again. Great sentence to say. <laughs> it really, really is. I'm not going to talk about going from somewhere to mouth. I'm really not. Benoit does not get long to gloat as Angle jumps in before the bell. This then includes Angle's own version of the rolling Germans. Now that is a start. He goes up then for the diving headbutt. He misses that one and then Benoit hits the Angle slam and wins the first fall. <sighs> he then goes straight for the crossface to try to take the second fall. But Angle just gets to the rope. That was an incredible first two minutes. It slows down slightly when we spill outside and Angle takes a shoulder into the steps. Angle then ducks a punch and sends Benoit into the post. Well, genitals first. Here's Paul Heyman. What submission move do you do to follow that up? 
It's a good question. Angle opts for a series of headshots to the Spanish announce table for now. Back in and Angle tries the ankle lock but doesn't get very far. The second time Benoit manages to counter it and then we get a great roll through sequence into the crossface. Just glorious stuff there. Again that Angle narrowly able to escape. Hard chop by Benoit. Is there any other kind? But he just gets beaten down straight after. The crowd have called for the first time in the show really as Angle executes a lovely suplex. And his belly to belly is just as nice of course. But on the next occasion Benoit again nearly gets the crossface on. Cross arm breaker too, but our Olympic hero's ring positioning is great. More ankle lock attempts by Angle, and much like Backlash, I wonder if this work is almost a bit too realistic. And yes, I know, that's a rather stupid criticism. Or is it? Anyway, marvellous snap suplex by Benoit as Heyman picks up on Angle, rolling onto his side straight afterwards. So I can now forgive him physical commissioner after all. He then locks on the lion tamer, not the walls of Jericho, but Kurt can power out of it. Figure of four leg lock is on now and in the middle of the ring. Angle though can roll to the ropes after some fantastic selling and said selling he then continues. This man has no flaws I'm telling you. Benoit continues to work on the knee including a leg lace as I do not allow myself to be distracted by a sign in the crowd that reads fear popper pump. Maybe one day. Outside we go and stiff shots are traded. Inside we go and stiff shots are traded. Who said a change was as good as a rest? DDT by the Wolverine but Kurt counters with the angle slam. He clamps on the ankle lock and this time Benoit has to tap. So we're tied up at 1-1, which means that 4-3 will be required, which was already known to anybody with an IQ greater than that number. As the medals get hung above the ring, the two combatants slug it out on the outside. Angle goes out to get a ladder from underneath the ring when there is already one in the aisleway. He tries to get the medals, but is knocked off by Benoit. Kurt gets slung into the front row as now Benoit gets the ladder, which is a much larger one. Angle, though, is up jerking Benoit right off the ladder and unlike at Wrestlemania there was no pause in JR's delivery that time suplex by Angle and then drives it right into the gutter Benoit he then tries for the head but the Wolverine ducks so both Angle and the ladder end up on the floor Benoit now uses it the same way and does execute a shot to the head ouch his turn to go up but again Angle is able to block this includes a low blow Heyman brings up that he is playing by the rules but there are no rules Ladder is now set up in the corner and Angle is catapulted right into it. He then climbs to avoid the same fate again. That was lovely, but Benoit wisely just tips it back on top of him. What a clever exchange from all involved. German suplex by Benoit as JR congratulates Heyman on using the word respite as the ladder now gets jammed between the second and third ropes. And now it is Edmonton's own who goes straight into the ladder. Ooh. And then suplexed right into the thing. Double ooh. Benoit, though, counters any other punishment by teeter-tottering the ladder from the apron right into Angle's mush. Angle is now trapped underneath it, the ladder, not his face, but from that position he is able to tip the ladder over just as Benoit is about to grab the medals. Irish whip, though, and now the crossface. Angle taps, but that doesn't mean anything, apart from Edge and Christian coming down to beat up their countrymen. And as they do that, Angle is able to scamper up the ladder and get the medals. Benoit really does knock Angle off the ladder, but the gold was securely in Kurt's grasp by then. He wins the match and his medals back by a score of 2-1. to one. Davinda, a lot to unpack there. Off you go. So the quick first fall was interesting considering how long they went. This takes me back to a, a show that I also did. It was WrestleMania 2000, where they did the two out of three falls, but they had to do it in under 15 minutes. So it kind of messed with the pace a little bit. This, <clears throat> excuse me, this first fall made me think that it was going to be another quick match. But 
it um it kind of told the story that I'm gonna beat you with your own move. He's the heel, so he's gonna kind of play up the whole frustration deal. And I think it was more important for Angle to get the submission rather than the pin. The submission keeps him uh, stronger. I I feel like a submission win, um, <clears throat> in Angle's case, keeps him stronger. Uh, makes him look like the smarter man in this situation. So after the submission, they go to the ladder match, and these guys always, uh, you know, they never miss. They uh, always stay intense. Feel like they work well with each other. There are a lot. There were a lot of uh, little shoot moments in terms of uh, just trying to get control, trying to get a submission uh, in that submission match. Um, and it wasn't. It wasn't shoot in terms of we're not on the same page. It's kind of like let's go. Let's see who can get the get the get the control, get the upper hand. So when they got to the ladder match, it was interesting because it's out of their element, but they still stayed within their style, which was really interesting to me. They stayed doing what they do, the suplexes and submission strategy type of deal, trying to work on a body part, but with the ladder. You're adding a ladder to the situation. It made the whole deal really interesting. Kurt gets his medals back. Nice long match. I just always enjoy these guys working together. Um, and the finish, even though it was kind of a, you know, bleh, it didn't take away from the match at all for me. Now, he had so much to enjoy here. And unlike the Backlash match, I do think this one was predominantly, one, one bits and pieces there that I talked about in the pay-per-view, but by and large, it was focused on a more general audience. So much of the work in their Backlash match, as good as it was, very, very specific, and you'd need to be uh, a bit of a purist to really enjoy a lot of it. This felt a little bit more on the universal side. I think bringing in the ladder probably helped in that regard, and we did a lot of interesting work around that too. Nothing in the way of crazy spots, and these two aren't about that. But as you say, Devinder, they use the ladder in some really fascinating and interesting ways. I've got to say, when Benoit got the first fall in just a few seconds, and then he clamped on the crossface again during fall number two, I'll admit it, for a few seconds myself, I thought they were doing it. I thought they were having Benoit doing the clean sweep in less than two minutes, which, if you really want to set them up for one grand finale match where Angle just has to destroy him once and for all, then that would be a way to do it. That's probably something you do on TV rather than on pay-per-view, but I wouldn't have minded too much if they had done that, but then we still had another 26 minutes of fantastic wrestling to go anyway, so I'll leave my four walls to one side for now. I think the submission portion was tremendous. If there was any doubt about it at all, and there wasn't, that the angle can do anything in the ring, that second fall proved it. So many of the things he went for, his counters, his counter of counters, his specificity of where he, he, very simple things where he puts his hands and fingers on the correct body part every time. He just does not give an inch angle. It's If we say it every month, then I hope we'll be saying it for many more months to come. He is the complete package in the ring, whatever you might think of him elsewhere. And I really loved how offhand and I beg your pardon the finish was. Edge and Christian come in, there's a little bit of destruction. Angle just fairly casually walks up the ladder and grabs the medals. There you go, Bob's your uncle. Not everything has to be a dramatic (gasps) pole-clutching finish. Something as obvious as that, it's probably the closest you're ever going to get to a purely italic realistic finish because in a ladder match you would just 
incapacitate your opponent, take about five or ten seconds to do it, then burn up the ladder before you can say, Chuck Robinson, this after 28 minutes of action is the closest you're going to get to that happening. And it fits Angle's character right to a T that he would be so, oh, okay, yeah, uh, my medals are there, the ladder's there, Chris Benoit isn't there, I'm just going to scuttle up and get it. What's the problem? Love that. Absolutely loved it. And it led to his <laughs> tremendous medal ceremony the next day as well. Not me moving on to a feud with Shane McMahon, but you can't win them all. Uh, it just, it, I feel like out of their uh, series of matches so far, probably because of the, you know, the universal aspect that you, that you talk about, because when they, when they did, you know, do their regular one-on-ones and the triple threat match, it was within their style. And maybe a portion of the audience wasn't really into it, considering the market that WWF goes toward. I feel like this was one of the, one of the more uh, well received matches, and just they were put in a spot where they don't normally work, and they exceeded expectations. Having the ladder, I was like, how are they going to work around the ladder? But it was just interesting using the ladder as a weapon in their styles. Still, you know, there was a suplex uh, angle gave Benoit onto the ladder. I just felt like that was. I'm still doing my thing. I'm just going to use the ladder with it. I, I just enjoyed it a lot. High quality stuff yet again. It does look as though this is the end of the feud with Angle getting the medals back, which is a shame, but I hope down the line these two get to hook it up once more. And we do finally, I've said it three times in the last three shows, but we do get the outright 25-minute Matt Classic that they deserve, and then we can finally move on. But lots to enjoy here, and lots to enjoy for a lot more people as well, which I think is important. Regal is getting treatment backstage when Taker barges into the month, but tonight's match is no hold barred. Yes, this again. As ever, he intimidates his way into getting what he wants, like the great babyface that he is. Jerry Lynn is at WWF New York. Now everybody has clearly had a turn. He says he should be defending the light heavyweight title at the pay-per-view, and he's probably right. He seems to blame JR for his absence, which is a nice little bit of inside of them, but then he is in New York. Let's get to another match. Hardcore title, and it's a triple threat match, pitting Test against the Big Show against our champion, Rhino. He lets the challengers have a bit of a battle first before he gets involved. Lots of in-crowd brawling. Remember when that meant something? Although it does at least allow many crowd members to shout, kick his ass. Ah, Sacramento. Test chokes Big Show with a large rope, but Rhino breaks up with a trailer of flight cases. Showers up and slings both guys all over the place, including denting a wall with Rhino. He tries to cover him while stood up and pressed against the wall, and it looks like it would have counted too. But he doesn't get a three, so he gets thrown into some pallets. They then saunter back to the arena as Rhino gets the trash can ready. Test pinches the lid and shoves it right back into his face, but then responds with a DDT onto it for a count of two. Big Show finally makes it back. In your own time, Paul. No rush. And there's the choke slam. One for two. Not yet. Modified. Go, go, go. I'm getting better at that. But Test then takes Rhino down with the can. Crowd thought that was the finish. Fire extinguisher is prepped now because why not? But still no victory yet for anybody. Ah, that'll do it, Rhino. Just chuck the thing at show. Have him catch it. Gore, gore, gore. That'll do him and go home. Just like that. Uh, Davinda, this was yet another hardcore match. There's not much more we need to say than that, but do have a go. Uh, I, I do want to commend you on your gore chance. It was good. I'm getting, very, getting better. I'm still way behind very, the muscle on this. Very but... proud of you. I felt like I was there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, it's, uh, it, it didn't do much for me. Uh, the story between Tess and Big Show, uh, I felt like that was going to be it. 
because of Tess helping Shane defeat Big Show last month. Um, that story goes into a hardcore setting considering where it started. So I kind of understood that. Um, I, I, I find it interesting that show was the one to take the fall. Um, you know, after WrestleMania 2000 and, you know, some, some ways that they've portrayed him, he has, he's not that attraction anymore. He's turning into a, just another guy. And it's not to take anything from Rhino and his gore because that can take down a brick wall. But I just feel like Big Show needs to be kept at a certain level considering his size and, you know, to stay at an attraction. Um, or it could mean that they want to do something with Test, who I'm actually a big fan of. I've been a fan of him ever since, uh, man, remember Survivor Series 99 when he was trying to go after Triple H and all that and, uh, I've, bec- I've, I've always been a big fan of Tess. So if this means that they want to do something with Tess because they kind of protected him from the pin, then I'm, I'm down for it. Um, them going backstage and not having real fan interaction or, you know, kind of just walking around trying to find things to hit each other with, uh, kind of slow, slow things down a bit for me. Three, you know, well, well respected men and three men that I'd be a fan of on any other day. It just didn't click for me today. Yeah, I very much play it by year as far as hardcore title matches are concerned. Either I like them or I don't. And that sounds ridiculously prosaic, but it is the case. And I don't go into them expecting anything great or even anything bad. I am completely neutral when I step into them. And I'm either going to be impressed or I'm not going to be impressed with what they did at Backlash, column A. And here, I'm afraid, column B. This was very listless stuff. And it was a rather nasty throwback to the hardcore matches of mid-late 99, where it's just a couple of cool things being thrown at each other. And that's it. Show. What do you you think about him taking the pin? Yeah, Big Show taking the pin. Well, we did talk about this on the show earlier this month. Dan and I, Big Show's positioning on it. It's done. It's finished. It's it's not going to happen. The best place for Big Show to be was Ohio Valley Wrestling a few months ago. He's come back and what's he done? Had a flirtation with the main event guys in January and February. But now he's just been bumping around the hardcore division and taking pinfalls in so as well. He's very close to hitting rock bottom here. But as I said a couple of weeks ago, they've still got him on tap for another eight years. Eight Years, they can't just cut and run with him. It really doesn't matter what they do with the big show. They're going to be forking out a seven figure sum for his services. And I use that term loosely for the next eight years. This is not how it was meant to be for the big show when he made that debut two and a bit years ago. It was never meant to be this way, but it just hasn't happened for him. His attitude backstage is supposedly really, really bad. He makes promises to the right people and doesn't keep them. This guy should be WWF all over, but, but it might well be all over for him. Not how it should be, but no. Chris White has been saying it for many times on this program as well. But, but we might as well get comfortable because we're going to be talking about him, like it or not, until, say it with me, everybody, 2009. 2009. Regal is very reluctant to tell Austin about the changes to the main event, and then we switch to another locker room, where Eddie is willing to offer some advice to Lita if she needs it. So now back to Austin's room, 
and he's okay with the match being no holes barred, just as Regal suspected. Match number four is China versus Lisa for China's Women's Championship. China is wearing a peacock's plumage to the ring for reasons best known to herself. The phrase open goal springs to mind. The two faces share an embrace before the match begins and then they lock up. China wins that battle of strength very easily. Waistlock by Lita doesn't go anywhere, but she squirms out of a press slam into a sunset flip. Very nice. Then China catches her in a cradle after ostensibly offering a handshake. Both for counts of two. Big clothesline by China gets two as well, but a jumping DDT by Lita and some hard right hands rather than a cover attempt. Lita is starting to feel it now and then a dive, as called by Heyman, for a two. Yes, just a dive. Lita with some kind of arm lock, but China just shuts her off. This goes on for a while until China with a neck breaker and power slam gets herself another near fall. China with the press slam attempt again, and this time she gets it off. One, two, and then she pulls Lita up. Oh dear. Lita responds with some kind of cross arm breaker like thing. The effort was there, and she holds it on firmly. China though counters into the head scissors as Eddie decides to join us. General grappling, that's all I can call it, goes on in the ring until Lita is able to kick her way to the ropes. Oh, and there's the hair pull swing thing. I was beginning to worry. China now tries a power bomb, but Lita rolls through with a Rana for a one, two, oh, and a kick out. Twist of Fate is blocked, but this time the power bomb is hit in the centre of the ring. One, two, and this time it's a three. China stares out Eddie, then helps Lita up and raises her hand. I'm going to say it again, everybody. Ah. Davinda, we were talking about this match off air. You had forgotten that China was actually defending the belt here, and I can't say I blame you. Yeah, it. Um, I just feel like what they were doing was forced, and it's a shame because both are very talented women. I just don't feel like China's into it, if that makes any sense. Uh, the build was interesting because it was another one of those eye-rolling things where the opponents are teaming up and they're, you know, they're good and they're all about respect. And then sometimes that works. And I felt like it did in the build. It, it really did. But these women were not giving up, not given a lot of time. China, I just don't feel like she's into it. Um, which is a shame because we could have gotten, it may have been the constriction of time. Maybe it was that, but I just feel like we could have gotten a better match out of them. And the whole China deal, like, it's like when Undertaker pulled Kurt off the mat after what, what, what would have been a three count with no attempt at a kick out from their opponent. China just made Lita look like she was beneath her by keeping her up. It wasn't the encouraging, let's go kid, try to, you know, give me your all. It just, it, 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 it didn't come across well for me. Uh, it's a forgettable match for me, uh, which is a shame because I expected a lot more. Yeah, I hate the pulling up deal at the best of times. It's such an egregious breach of kayfabe. But at least I can understand it to a point when a heel is doing it to a baby face. When a baby face is doing it to a heel, no, not really. When a baby face is doing it to another baby face, absolutely not. And this just made China look like, well, what we all really know about China, which is not what we should be getting from her on screen. China backstage is probably not somebody you want to approach very, very often, but she is supposed to be an inclusive baby face on our screens. And here she is, as you say, making it look like Lita is beneath her. Now, I do wonder who came up with that spot. I have my suspicions. The match was, the thought was there. 
let, let, let's let, let's be charitable and say the thought was there. The execution was just way above their level. I don't know who agented this match. Neither of them actually said, well, no, we can't really do that. We'll give it a shot. And both of them did. China included, it must be said. But they really, really struggled out there. And laying out a far more basic match, especially where they want Lita to be. No, don't don't run before you can walk and all of that. And here's Lita trying cross arm breaker reversals. Now, we saw some pretty good examples of that two matches ago. We don't need to see it replicated here because it's not going to happen. And that's no disrespect at all to anybody involved. But let's stay in your lane would be the expression here. And it was very untidy. It was rather sloppy. I thought the finishing powerbomb was okay, but everything building up to that just didn't look right. It looked like they were trying to have a wrestling match. And no matter who is in the ring, if that is what you are left with, your impression as a viewer, that it's two people in there trying to have a wrestling match rather than having a wrestling match or whatever kind that might be, then I think you've got problems. I wish I had forgotten that China was holding the women's title as well. When she had her moment at WrestleMania, that was it. I wouldn't have minded so much if she had vacated it the next day and lost it without being pinned. I'd be all right with that, really. It just The women's division, there are elements and hints there. There really, really are. China holding the belt doesn't help anybody. And on commentary during this show, they were bending over backwards to try to say why China is now wrestling in the women's division. But you see the thing she was doing two years ago, and this seems like a step down for her. And unfortunately, she is giving off the impression that it is a step down for her. Maybe that's where the later up thing comes from. And it's a bad, bad look. If she would have vacated the WWF Women's Championship the day after WrestleMania, the entire division would not have rebounded from that. She Maybe. Already... I, I, yeah, I, 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 I get your point there because it makes it look like and she doesn't want the thing, which is fair enough. But I just think now she's holding it and nobody is allowed to look on her level. When let's say just has like is trying their best to mm-hmm. try to, you know, bring some credibility when you look at an image of China and the women's championship in the same sentence. They're sure. trying. But I think I think I just think they're not getting anything out of her. She's sure. probably. She's probably like, give me the belt and I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to dominate everybody. We need, we need competitive matches. We need you to help us with the younger stars. We need you to help us with the younger girls. Try to get them to your level. But she's still staying, sitting on her throne and feeling that she doesn't have to. As a worker, I don't, this might be controversial, but you know, my show and all that. I don't think Lita is that far beyond China as a worker. I really, really don't. China should be better in the ring than she is right now. Chris White, we talked about this during our, I think it was the show No Way Out around about that time. Maybe Armageddon. China has actually regressed and he's probably right. And it's just a leaden weight dragging down the women's division as long as she is champion. She could have just checked out too. I honestly thought they were going to have Lita win this one, to be perfectly honest with you, and then do the anointing baby face thing at the end. But not for me. I agree with you that Lita isn't on China's level yet, but the, uh, it's up to the veteran to help pull out a good match. And I think they thought that was going to happen, but China going to China. Let's go backstage again, where we can see Kurt Angle. Very nice indeed. And he's in a rather jolly mood. He is off to get the medal sterilised. Fantastic. And Benny will have a full Olympic celebration tomorrow on Raw. Edge and Christian tell us that Operation Never Having to Hear Angle Bitch About His Medals is complete. 
And then BKM holds court with Triple H and Austin. The only way that they will get through it is if they stick together and do the right thing. And they are more than happy with that. So then, to our intercontinental title match. The champion, Triple H, goodness me, versus Kane in a chain match. Okay. Even before the chain gets attached, Triple H jumps Kane and uses it as a weapon. Broken arm is focused on on the outside as a besuited Stephanie looks on gleefully. Chair shot to the back and then to the bandaged arm. And now the chain gets attached, obviously to the broken arm. Both men now wear the chain and the match proper begins. There's 12 feet between them, apparently. Triple H hops under the ropes then yanks on the chain to pull him into the ropes arm first. Looks like pinfalls count here and in fact it's the only way to win so we don't get any of that touch four buckles nonsense, thank goodness. Into the steps we go, a lot of that already today, and run a great many chain shots to the back. It's all very methodical here so far, but it's focused. He nabs another chair, but Kane now hauls on the rope, so Triple H smashes right into the ring post and chair. He has busted open. It's a Triple H match after all. Kane now goes to town on that, and the crowd are into it. So am I. Kane ties the weapon right around Triple H's face. Indeed, he tries to put it around Hunter's nose, but remember the chain is only 12 feet long. Now he hangs Triple H from the apron with the thing. Oh my. And there's a visual to remember. And a no-nonsense punch to the back of the head. But the game counters with a pull on the chain to send Kane tumbling off the top rope. Closed line with the chain. And now in the first row, he pulls Kane into the guardrail. But is then caught on top of that and slammed down to the floor. Back in with a face buster and another chain clothesline. He looks for the pedigree, but Kane powers out jewels first. Big knockdown. And now the red machine will go upstairs again. This time he gets off the clothesline. Kane calls for the choke slam, and there it is. No cover though, because Austin is out. It's a big heat. Kane tosses him over the top rope, but after a low blow, Austin is right back with a chair. He aims for Kane, but the big guy ducks, so he nails Triple H instead. Cover. One, two, three. Kane wins and is the new Intercontinental Champion. Davinda, we can talk for hours about whether either of these guys should even be going for the Intercontinental title, but I'm going to say it. I liked how they got there this time. I enjoyed this. Okay. Um, before we get to the match, if you'll allow me. Of course. WWF is a multi-million dollar company. They uh, have great ad revenue. They sell out their shows. Their merchandise is through the roof. They make millions upon millions upon millions of dollars off of us and their um, obvious relationships with uh networks and sponsors so sir if you can answer my question why can they not provide a better graphic of triple h holding both belts <laughs> yes. rather than drawing the shits on there they could have just stopped them backstage hey let's take a picture with both your belts just so it looks realistic instead of putting these action figure sized looking belts <laughs> on them during the match graphic but I digress. It's so dreadful. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, no, it's a very, very important point. You know, it's worse than the blue screens they used Vince and Savage presenting superstars in 1991. Absolutely dreadful. <laughs> when it comes to the match, it just, uh, it, it, I, when you talk about these two men not, not supposed to, not supposed to be going after the Intercontinental Championship, I feel like it elevates the championship rather than kind of make it a confusing looking scene. Um, two main eventers, two great workers. Why, why wouldn't you put, put them in there? When you have the main event as, I'm not going to say crowded, but as populated as it is now, 
I feel like you can use them for non-title feuds, which is always awesome. And, you know, yeah, put put two of them in the Intercontinental title uh, championship scene. Triple H is on his way to being someone just great. He was showing brilliance at the end of 99 in his heel work. 2000 was great year for him. And um, he's just capitalizing. I feel like everybody gets an opportunity. It's what you do with it. And once Triple H got the opportunity, he said, I'm going to take this and grab it by the throat and become one of the greats. And I feel like he's on his way there. Kane is awesome. Always has uh, great um, fan support when he's a face. And I think that's the only thing that saved this match. I feel like this match was just a bunch of spots rather than a match. Um, just like, just chain spots. And then we get to the finish. The finish is what saved it because uh, the crowd is really behind Kane. It should be interesting to see what Kane does with the Intercontinental Championship uh, moving forward and what that does for the Brothers of Destruction versus two-man power trip um, story. At the time, I was like, what does this mean for the for the main event? Is Undertaker going to win the title now, you know? it was for me, for me, it just felt like it was just about the finish and uh, the story going forward. It's more about the future than what happened in this match. See, I did enjoy how they got there. This might surprise a lot of people, but I did like this match. I think it helped that it wasn't especially long. Felt like it was only just over 10 minutes. And I do get what you're saying, that it felt like spots with you on that one, but they were important spots. Everything was built around use of the chain. And these are the two type of guys who can, fits their natural style, will be able to do something with a weapon like that and make it believable and make it more than watchable. And I think they did that here. I, I Believe me, I would be the first to say if I didn't think they did. And you'd be hearing about it for a very long time. But they got it just about right. I thought it had enough back and forth. I think the use of the chain was enough to have me second guessing myself during the match because I was, whatever reason, I was sure Triple H was retaining here. But I thought Kane's got a broken arm, but he can use the chain as a bit of a leveler. And look at how sensibly and cleverly he is using it when he's on offense. That that could play into something. And that, in a way, is why I didn't like the finish. See, it looks like we're on opposites here. See, you didn't love the match. You quite like the finish. I thought the match was most enjoyable, but the finish was a problem. It ties into what happens at I, the end of the show. I, I'm sorry, the result of the finish. Okay, yeah, no I, problem. Yeah, no problem. yeah it, it was a great crowd reaction. That oh, was yeah. Oh, the, the crowd were excellent. Talk about California crowds, not the KC. They were hot. Pretty much everything here definitely elevated the pay-per-view. It does play into what happens later on the show. It also plays into what happens on Raw the next day. Uh, Austin coming in and looking so hapless. I don't love, I say I'll hold off my views completely on that until we get to the main event. I would have liked to have seen Kane just beat Triple H into paste, and obviously, just use the chain definitively on a choke slam onto it or something for a definitive win, and Helmsley could still turn around and say, yeah, you beat me, but you didn't really beat me. Instead, they went for the Keystone Cops, Laurel and Hardy thing, which is one of my problems with Austin at the moment. But more on that in about 20 minutes or so. A really well put together and worked match, but if you're going to have Kane as Intercontinental Champion and beating Triple H to get there, then don't do it this way. But hey, the crowd loved it, so what do I know? Coach talks to Jericho, and we still don't know who his tag team partner is yet. It might well be Coach himself with his boring questions that go nowhere. But no, Jericho does have somebody else lined up. The only clue now is that he is a real party animal. 
Triple H can barely stand backstage, and he is furious. As ever, whatever happened to All for One and One for All? Vince is going to talk to Austin. Penultimate match is our tag team turmoil match. The winners get a shot at Triple H and Austin's tag team titles at some point in the future. The APA and the remaining Radicals start us out. Now, I'm not going to do full play-by-play here, not until we get to the end anyway, because most of these matches, they're not even TV-level action-wise, so let's just get through them. As quickly as we can, the Radicals go very quickly after a spinebuster by Farouk, very quickly. But Dudley's are next, and you know what the crowd wants, and you know what the crowd gets. But it is Devon who ends up going through the table after the Hollies come down to exact revenge, what we talked about earlier. Bradshaw then hits Bubba with a clothesline from hell. X-Factor are next, as the chance will no doubt tell you. JR reminds me that X-Pac is still not yet 30, which is just mind-blowing. Feels like he's been around forever. Bradshaw goes for a fallaway slam, but Albert grabs and holds his leg. X-Pac is able to get the three count, and the APA are gone. Matt and Jeff are team number four. They should advance after a swanton, but again, Albert gets his grubby mitts involved. This time, Justin is able to hit a superkick to Matt, and X-Factor roll on. Now comes Chris Jericho and his mystery partner, and it's Chris Benoit. Okay, I'm interested. After some good back and forth, they take down all three members of the Factor, Albert included, but a double submission to the legal men and through to the last round go the new team. So we are down to Jericho and Benoit and Edge and Christian. Suplex by Jericho to Edge in the ring, but then a stun gun by Edge, with Christian's help, quickly swings the advantage. Edge works on the ankle as here comes Christian to hammer away. Quick tags from the heels and then a dropkick by Edge gets a two count. Jericho is cut around the lip, by the way. He fights out of a headlock but gets kneed right back down. Reverse backbreaker by Christian scores a two. And then they cut the ring off as all good heel tag teams do. And yes, they're a good heel tag team, all right. Edge misses a dropkick this time but does get knees up on a lion salt. Ben Wildo breaks up the pin. E and C try their own version of poetry in motion. But Christian hits the buckles and I sense a hot tag coming. We get it. Benoit does his stuff as JR drops a Jackson Brown reference. And you say mine aren't friendly to our audience. Amazing German suplex to Christian, but that can't quite get it done. He really did snap him back on that move. Jericho puts Christian on his shoulders, allowing Benoit to drop kick him off. I love it. Edge stops the count, though. Edge with a desperation DDT to Benoit, and now a concerto could be coming. But no, it's a double baseball slide. It could be taste of own medicine time for Christian, but Edge is in again to shove them out of the way. Nicely done. E and C try again, but this time Jericho takes Edge down and Benoit has the cross face on Christian and he has to tap. The new team win their title shot versus Austin and Triple H at some point. More on that match later. But Davinda, your thoughts on this one? That was, that was a long, that was a long match. Um, what I did like about it is that it showcased the tag team division. Sometimes uh, you need to feel like these events are exactly that. They're live events. And uh, wrestling aside, stories aside, you know, it's, it's, it's like a traveling circus is what WWF is and professional wrestling. So to showcase your tag team division and um, feel like it was smart because maybe, um, maybe the casual fan that's bringing his kid or his family, you know, kind of gets a look at all the teams and says, yeah, I kind of like those guys. I'm going to check them out tomorrow night or on SmackDown. And um, I, th- I feel like it was a smart thing business-wise to showcase all the tag teams. I really liked the way X-Factor looked in this match. I was surprised. Um, I would have switched their booking with the Radicals' booking. 
because uh, Perry Sander and Dean Malenko are, are men that I've said in the past they deserve a lot more than what they're getting. Um, when it comes to Benoit and Jericho, production-wise, I would have had – production. I mean, booking-wise, I would have had them come out last. I would have had Edge and Christian come out, you know, second to last, and then they're waiting on Jericho and let's see who your, who your mystery partner is. And in that case, I would have had Jericho come out, point to the entrance – and actually have Benoit's music play to get a better reaction from the crowd because it was it was kind of a delayed reaction because people were probably looking up at the screen in the arena um and I would have I would have I would have been totally happy if it was just Edge and Christian against Jericho and a mystery partner but again I enjoyed the fact that they showcased all the tag team division Hardy's always looked great Dudley's are great um but uh it's going to be interesting now you know, to see this team. And we're going to talk about it later. But um, this this team of two men that were at each other's throats just uh, a year ago, um, it's going to be it's going to be exciting because both of these guys are very, very talented and uh, should should make for a great team. Just a quick note on why the Radicals went so quickly, other than just being the Radicals. Their cause was not assisted by what Parry Sutton did in the ring with longtime jobber Mike Bell on an edition of Heat. Taking liberties, I think, is the expression, and he was roasted backstage for doing so. And the Radicals have gone nowhere this month ever since, and which will probably go indeed, and will go some way to explaining why they're humiliating Perry Sutton on air by having him, well, having him begin and end every sentence with the expression "You're welcome." I'm pretty sure the words "You're welcome" might have been uttered by somebody to somebody else backstage after what happened on Heat, but there you go. So. That's one to watch. I must say, I haven't actually gone back and seen this edition of Heat, but if anybody who has can let me know what might have occurred, then you know, do get in touch. It sounds very, very unprofessional, and I expect better from Perry Saturn, it must be said. He's somebody I'm a huge fan of, and taking liberties with a jobber, you know, that's, that's rule number one. You don't do that, and I do hope he learns his lesson quickly. Looks like he's got a lot of medicine to take, and I hope he can swallow it all in one go. Anyway, back to the rest of this match. Yes, X-Factor's presentation was fascinating and they genuinely looked good and that takes a lot for me to say. I had a couple of comments about them not the most friendly during our Insurrection show last week but here all three of them look good. They're becoming a little bit of a unit and I think the Federation are noticing that as well by giving them two eliminations here. Just for a second there I thought Oh, they're not going to last all the way to the end, are they? But common sense prevailed before too long. Everybody who else was called upon. APA looked strong at the start. Dudleys were the Dudleys. Didn't need to be anything more. Hardys were the Hardys. Although, again, not for the first time this month. We didn't see as much of the Hardys as I thought we were going to. That could be one to watch. But I do agree with you. I would have had Edge and Christian come out as the penultimate team and then really make a song and dance about Benoit being Jericho's partner. I suppose in kayfabe terms, it makes sense that Jericho's team wouldn't necessarily be the final team to come out but here I could let that slide and I could just go for the drama and the spectacle of it Jericho walking out looking like he doesn't have a partner then turning to the back up goes and then Benoit emerges after the match he's had today and the pop would have been astronomical but they still got there I think they are I talked about Triple H and Austin not quite getting their collective tag team chops down at quite yet but these two they were right there it's as if they've been wrestling together all their life i love the fact that they came together without necessarily being buddy buddy it's just purely based on 
mutual respect. And I think that's enough. After the battles they've had over the last year, it wouldn't make sense if they were you know, handshaky, nose rubby. Do you really want to see that? Nobody answered that question. Yeah, I respect you. You respect me. I've beaten you. You've beaten me. Now let's team up and see what we can do. Love the mini match they had with Edge and Christian. Hope we get to see a full blown one between them one day on a pay per view. It was quite a long 24 minutes, but you're always going to have potential timing issues when you have a turmoil match. And some of the falls are going to be quick. So the Hardys probably don't need to worry too much, although I can't say I haven't noticed it. But right decision, right winners, beating the right team as well in Edge and Christian. If you're going to make claim to the tag team titles, beating a team who have won them seven times is not a bad way to go. And we will be returning to this topic in a few minutes time. But we have a pay-per-view to conclude. The WWF Championship match, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Undertaker, no holds barred. So, the build for this one. The match was announced towards the beginning of the month. But of course, this being the WWF, you need an extra angle for it, don't you? So on this occasion, we had the rather unedifying sight of Undertaker receiving a call a couple of weeks before this event that his wife had been in a car accident. That was a hoax. But the discussion then turns to who was responsible for the hoax. Everybody suspected Austin, as you would, because he's that kind of guy now. But when they were tracing the phone calls, they noticed that they all came from Triple H's cell phone. It appeared that Triple H himself was surprised by this. He and Austin accosted each other backstage. But then towards the end of a match, Austin appeared on the video screen. He dialed Sarah, hung up the phone very quickly, admitted it was him. You bastard stone cold. Right. All of that in mind, let's get to the match. Before we begin, VKM joined us on commentary. But sadly, I don't remember him saying, and then from there, or notwithstanding once. So what's the point? There's a sign in the crowd, Bush fears Vince. You can't get a cigarette paper between politicians these days, can you? Austin's music barely begins before Taker jumps in. That's happened a lot today too, but here, at least there's a fair reason for it. A quick brawl around the entranceway, and then yet another shot to the steps. I make that five, six, seven, eight. Taker throws his headband at Vince and VKM actively rooting for Austin on commentary is quite the head fuck. Old school on the guardrail gets them going, but Austin escapes and waylays Taker again near the entrance. Bit too much repetition here. Fire extinguisher, see, to the face. And who is the agent here? I say again enough on these shows as it is without people doing the same things over and over again. Anyway, JR calls Undertaker's right hand's dynamic, which is pushing it a tad. Austin goes to work on his knee in the corner, then his head with a chair, but he misses. Undertaker with that clothesline of his, and then maybe the tombstone? No, Austin slides through. No stunner yet, however. Big boot puts pay to that, and there is a long, long two count. Outside, Austin gets sent into the timekeeper's table, and now Undertaker is stalking Vince but his new buddy saves him. There's nice. Stone Cold ties Taker up and sends his leg into the post a good few times. Very slow, very deliberate, and dare I say it, very boring. But, as it should be, it's more like it for Austin's heel offence. Keep it up. Chop block as Vince smiles at it as only he can. And listen to this, Austin is working heel and is now getting booed as a heel. Who would have thunk it? Kicks to the leg from Austin, where this all began for him really, and then he grinds the knee down to the mat. Beautiful. And now he drives his elbow to the knee and wrenches on it in the middle of the ring. Just attritional toil. And I love it. I really do. The crowd don't, as proved by a huge Austin sucks chance. We're getting there. We really are getting there. Taker fights out with his good leg. And yes, I was watching closely. Then throws Stone Cold outside. 
Taker removes the monitors from the announce table, and here's Heyman. The Spanish guys are over there. Oi. There's the chokeslam, Austin going right through the table. The dead man rolls the champ back in, but Austin is out at two. And you know what? I don't think there's any drama in those kickouts anymore. I think it's time to drop them. Slam and an elbow drop for another two. Austin tries to distance himself as Vince stalks Taker. This allows the rattlesnake to hit the challenger right between the eyes with a monitor. More heat for Austin, plus an asshole chance. Nicely done, Sacramento. He launches Taker right into the steps, and now the dead man is bleeding from the head. They exchange right hands in the ring, and then Austin smiles after the Fez press. This is almost too good all of a sudden. A few near-fall attempts go nowhere, and then Steve just belts Taker right in the nads. Shoulder up from the challenger, though. Sleeper by the champ, and the crowd hate all of this. Side suplex counter by Undertaker, but Austin has the chair again, and he hits the target, and then some. He calls the taker to get up rather than cover him. And you see, this is the problem. That rather invites Austin chance, and it gets them. Having Austin somebody who wants to fight, don't do that anymore. Don't do it. Cautionary tale. Taker gives him the finger, and now Austin hits the stunner for one, two, and a kick out. Of course it was a kick out. Finishing moves increasingly exist in name only these days. I really don't like it. Chokeslam by the recovered Undertaker, and now he goes to town with the chair. Triple H is out to help because Austin really needs it. JR somehow gets hold of my script as he asks, what is that son of a bitch doing here? <laughs> Taker wipes him out, however, and the same for the champ as well. One, two. Now Vince is in to break it up. He gets destroyed in the corner by Taker, followed by an errant chair shot by Austin. Why is he the one making all the mistakes? But not to worry, though, Triple H will bail you out. See, there you are. He manages to use his weapon without any problem at all. He doesn't make errors. Kane's pyro goes off and he runs down to the ring to supposedly try and break things up. But rather oddly, Austin is still able to cover his foe for the three and retention of the title. I think they got the timing wrong there. The replay shows that Triple H stopped Kane from entering the ring. But oh, that was a little more messy than it should have been. In any event, we end with the Brothers of Destruction looking on in the ring. Devinder, there was a lot I liked about that main event, but unfortunately a lot I disliked as well. And this time it was column B over column A, I'm afraid. Yeah, um, you got the right players, you got the right characters. Um, I will commend Stone Cold for always, uh, you know, his his effort in trying to get over as a heel champion. So it's, um, with that being said, it's kind of strange to see him make the mistakes and need the help and not look dominant as a champion, but at the same time, you don't need a dominant heel champion. You need a heel that you're going to, you're going to see him scurry away or need the help to get a win, kind of hide behind his cronies and things like that. But it's just a strange, it's a strange dynamic to put on Austin since we've been so used to him doing things his way and only his way. The match was cool. Uh, just the ending kind of messed it up. I don't, Logically, I don't know why Kane didn't go out there earlier before all the shenanigans. Like, did you not think that Triple H and Vince was going to help? Like, exactly. I, I, I just feel like the timing, not like a minute earlier, but like five minutes earlier. He should have been out there already. Like, I'm going to watch my brother's back because I know that these guys are going to probably work together. But the timing on the actual finish was just strange because everybody was so distracted with Kane coming down. And he got an awesome reaction again. That guy's so great. Um, 
in the middle of that reaction, you get the three count by Austin. So I'm not sure if, or what I would have done is have Austin have that shocked look on his face. Kane come down to even out the odds and be the equalizer. But it was just a strange finish. But um, that being said, uh, two-man power trip is the two-man power trip, you know. By definition, they're 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 doing what they got to do to keep the titles on themselves. It was a mistake earlier by Austin, but um, it's it's even for me. I give it like a five on the main event because I did like it, but some some stuff was just strange for me. I loved Austin not working like Austin through so much of this match because that's what he's got to do if he's going to get maintain heat. We can't have the fists of fire. We can't have the test press. That's we a can't good have point. And when he does the test yeah. press, he just does a little smirk. You know, we don't need the elbow off the top. He's still going to do the stunner. That would be a bridge too far, I think. I would have preferred this have happened last month, but better late than never. He's removing so many of the things we love him doing, which is what you've got to do. And it's taken. The sacrament of for me to see it. It's just, oh, it's yeah. just for me after after you know a few months to 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 you know associate doing that with Austin, you know, but I, like I said, I applaud his efforts to get over as a heel champion. He's doing his best. I, it took a little bit of figuring out, but he's getting there. And we'll talk about it a bit later on, that something that happens might well be a blessing in disguise for him. But because of the way he was working and he was working the right way to get heat and he got it other than that wild aberration towards the end, doesn't make for the most compelling of match. And when we were reviewing the insurrection main event, Dan and I, in that match, Austin was pretty much working like the babyface Austin, which he shouldn't have done, but it did make the 15 minutes a more pleasurable viewing experience. Here, he's really slowing these down, and it's lots of arm locks and headlocks and not doing the explosive offense, which is great, and I mean that, it's really great, but he's in there with the Undertaker, and he just isn't going to provide any ballast for that, and he's just going to be punch-kick-plod, which is what we got here. There were a few moments where it threatened to brighten up, but otherwise it was much more of a slog than it wasn't. And I think I would have actually had the cavalry come out in this match earlier. Vince and, oh yes, Triple H, rather than in the last three minutes. I think they needed to be. This was a match that needed saving, and I wouldn't have complained about what we now always call overbooking. Booking something heavily isn't necessarily overbooking, and I think if we'd had more Triple H, oh yes, and Vince here, rather than in the last three minutes, it would have assisted the match. It probably required it. And it just slopped along. Undertaker's offense was drab. I don't know what was going on with the finish. It was almost as if Kane missed his cue, but he clearly didn't play by the way his music was queued up. So we can't even turn around and say that. This wasn't a Papa Shango WrestleMania 8 type thing. They just booked him to come down to the ring whilst Austin is administering the final three count, which just doesn't make any sense at all. They really Can you imagine if this, if this all comes down to the pyro guy? Because they wanted his pyro so bad. Can you imagine if it was just... <laughs> oh, they really do operate like a workers' cooperative after all. But yeah, it, 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 Have Kane out there earlier. It doesn't make sense, as you rightly say, that he would wait this long to interfere but Austin's going for the pinfall. You're not going to get down there in three seconds. You've been in a big match yourself earlier. You're banged up. You've got a broken arm. You're not going to go from 0 to 60 in three seconds. And it was a shame. And it's their finishes, especially when there's so many people involved. 
whether I like them or not, they're normally very, very tight. And they spend a lot of time going over them to make sure that they do make sense. Now, that expression again. This that, one that's another it, thing that can be considered a problem with this thing is it just there's so many moving parts. Yeah, it's absolutely. A, it's a lot easier when you have an overbooked finish. So Vince is going to break the pin and then I'm going to go punch Vince and, uh, you know, Austin hits Vince and then I hit Austin and then yeah. Triple H hits And there's so much crap going on. That it's and again, just like you said, it's it's like the Fed to do this, and we've been used to that. It's fine, but it it just can it it raises the the chances of uh, an error like the one we saw, and it dragged down from what could have been could have been a decent throwback style main event, but they're just too many moving parts, as you rightly say, and they moved in the wrong direction. So it was a letdown as a main event for me. Maybe to some degree, I was expecting it. But that's not a reason to defend them, I'm afraid. A weaker main event than it should have been, with all of that said, to close out Judgment Day. But at least Austin did defend the title successfully, and he marches on as our heel champion. So the vendor that closes out Judgment Day 2001. Give us your final thoughts and a score rating out of 10. You know, looking at the match order, I think WWF was smart in putting up this match order. You got Curtin Benoit as the second match. And, you know, Regal Rikishi was a great opener. It, it, it did what it had to do. You know, the opening match is just as important as the, you know, finishing, or the main event, rather. Um, so you had good fan inter- interaction with the first match. Curtin Benoit's next. That held us off, um, you know, through the hardcore championship, which is a little slow. And then it took us into the Intercontinental Championship match, Tag Team Turmoil main event. So I believe, I may be going out on a limb, but I believe that the pay-per-view was paced correctly and the match order was done right to keep everybody's interests in there. It, it, it was the night of Benoit. It was the night of the stories between Brothers of Destruction and the two-man power trip. And it was, it was um, again, the business acumen comes in this because they used a pay-per-view to build TV. And I know every pay-per-view makes you want, you know, it should make you want to watch Raw the next day. But this was a definite attempt to build TV, to make you want to watch their weekly television because of Kane winning the Intercontinental Championship, and now we have new number one contenders for the Tag Team Championships with Jericho and Benoit, two men that knew each other so well. That's why they worked together so well. And, um... It was, it was, uh, man, I, I, I would give it a five, six. I'd give it a six. And I'm being, I'm being really nice about it because it was only really three matches that I'm looking at that really did anything and parts of one match. But, um, yeah, it, it was, a it was a fine pay per view. It did what it had to do. It did what it had to do. I'll say that. Uh, you can take that for whatever way you want. Yes, and I think that's where Backlash failed because it didn't really know what it wanted to do. This one did, and by and large, it got there. But I'm only the five and a half on this one. Still one point better than Backlash, so progress, progress. I agree with you that this event was extremely well-structured match for match. That was something they did think about and get right. So credit where it is due and all of that. The execution was lacking in places where you can't allow it to lack. The women's match, for example, which had a lot of build going into it, didn't live up to the weeks they've 
put into it, you know, and that's the problem. The main event itself was too much of a mess, especially with the guys involved, and you've got to come down hard on veterans like that, I'm afraid. Lots to like. Angle Benoit match was tremendous with the right results. Tag team turmoil, possibly another team to look forward in the future for. Yay. But the right winners in the right way. And in a couple of minutes, we'll talk about striking while the iron was hot there. Kane winning the IC title. Again, I have my issues with him and Triple H going for it. But I think it plays into what you say, Davinda. You're absolutely right. This almost felt like a TV special rather than a pay-per-view. You say pay-per-view should always be the end of things. This felt like the beginning of something and was probably a little bit better for that. But there weren't enough supporting features of a higher quality in-ring other than Angle Benoit for me to be massively enthusiastic about it. So I'm at a five and a half. The intrigue of this pay-per-view, especially knowing what happens over the next two weeks, might be enough to lead you towards it if you didn't check it out, but I cannot call that a recommendation. After the treats that we were afforded in January, March and the very beginning of April, we're not far off normal service being resumed here. And that's not good enough anymore. Normal WWF, they they can do better than that. They proved it this year. They've got the means and the people on board to do better than that. Slightly better than last month's pay-per-view is not going to cut it for me. So a five and a half, set itself tasks, achieve them, but they know where the problems lay, and I hope they sort them out. I said my name is Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, so what you're saying is your name is Stone Cold Steve Austin. Well, Stone Cold, my name is Chris Jericho. And on behalf of every single Jericho-holic in this arena, I would like to ask you, no, I would like to beg you, would you please shut the hell up? Jericho has just told us. You know, ever since WrestleMania, the eternal question has been, why? Why'd you do it, Stone Cold? Why'd you sell your soul to Vince McMahon? But after all the theories and all the questions, hell, after two months of speculation, to be honest with you, I really don't give a damn why you did what you did. Besides, I have a little theory of my own. You did it because you're nothing more than an angry, vengeful, 100% 100% bona fide jackass! Man! And besides, I've got to hand it to you. In selling your mind and your soul and your body to Vince McMahon, you've achieved the impossible. You've managed to become an even bigger slut than Stephanie McMahon Helmsley! Jericho just calls Stone Cold a slut! I do not believe what we're witnessing here tonight. Jericho is stepping up to the plate. And as far as tonight is concerned, and he's stepping up to the plate against Stone Cold Steve Austin. As far as tonight is concerned, 
I think it's time that the two-man power trip became two-time losers when Chris Benoit and Y2J beat you for your tag team championship title. So we talked about when Benoit and Jericho were going to get their shots for Austin and Triple H's tag team titles. Well, it was the next day on Raw, the main event. This main event was very, very important for what was planned to happen and something that was most definitely not planned to happen. So once again, I've got my notes. Let's go through our main event of the May 21st, 2001 Raw. Austin and Triple H defending their tag team titles against Benoit and Jericho. Jericho and Austin kick us off, and I hope before long we get a full one-on-one between these two. I reckon they could bring great things out of each other. Austin with some cheap heel tactics that I very much endorse, but then Jericho takes him down with a quick crossbody and snap roll-up, both for a count of two. Axe handled by Y2J, and then he tries to clamp on an arm ringer, but Stone Cold knees him in the gut and tags out. Triple H gets knocked to the mat, and now the Canadian Chrises do their stuff together. Benoit swiftly gets isolated, though, and the heels are able to assume control. I always like how assume is used in that context. And yes, you listen to these shows for my ruminations on the English language, don't you? Anyway, for the very few of you who don't, back to the match. Benoit with a great suplex and a greater superplex. Cover attempt, but Hunter is in to stop that, and then Jericho gives him a quick receipt. Lightning fast action from everybody in this one, let it be said. The Wolverine fights out of the corner and locks Austin in the crossface. Not it yet, though, because with the ref tied up, Helmsley is able to break it up with a chair. Cover. One. Two. No, Benoit is out, and the crowd thought that was the finish. Hmm. Big Austin sucks chance. There we go again, as he grinds on Benoit's neck. He goes outside, then sent into the steps by Triple H, and back in Austin with an arrogant cover. Getting better every day. Knee to the face by Triple H, but Benoit is again out before the count of three. Austin with a good old shot to the groinal area, and then more work on the neck. I'm calling that psychology, re-softening him up for the stunner. I hope I'm not being too generous. Abdominal stretch applied by Triple H, and of course, Austin helps with some leverage. This is why your granny always tells you that the old ones are the best. Hebner makes them break it up, but the game is right back on top with a sleeper. And as I suggested earlier this month, that is actually one of his best moves. No, not a backhanded compliment either. Chris out with the German suplex, and now both men are down. Desperation Enziguri helps keep Triple H down, but the ref didn't see the hot tag. Stone Cold destroys Benoit outside, but Jericho won't stand for that. This, though, allows Hunter to nail the pedigree on the inside. Y2J, though, with a missile drop kick and the crowd are feeling it. This time, Benoit gets a legal tag and Jericho goes to town. Holmesley is sent outside and now Chris blocks the Dez press and on goes the walls of Jericho. Is this it? No, it's not, because Triple H is in to grab him off. Oh, hang on. Hunter seems to be limping here on the outside. Oh, dear. Despite this, though, he gets Jericho on the table and goes for the pedigree, but Y2J reverses it into the walls on the table on what looks like an injured Triple H. Wow, Benoit with a diving headbutt, but no ref. Austin then with a stunner, and now the ref comes too, but Jericho pulls out the referee. Oh, I don't like that. Anyway, now it is back to Jericho and Austin, and there is Lion Salt, but the ref is still out. Triple H hobbles back in with a sledgehammer, but he accidentally hits Austin. Jericho with the cover. One, two, and they've done it. We have new tag team champions. Davinda, well, talk about striking while the iron's hot. The next day, Benoit and Jericho winning the belts. This was a hell of a main event. Um, this was just an incredible main, incredible main event. And I would, I would, I would go as far as to say that even though it was for the tag team championships, 
propelled Jericho and Benoit for future main event spots because of how well they worked with Triple H and Austin. Uh, Triple H and Austin showed uh, no selfishness as far as offense and um, selling for or selling for Benoit and Jericho. Um, of course, we we saw the accident um, that Triple H endured, and um, I mean we'll get to that in a second. But the match itself was just an awesome match. It was an excellent TV match. As it turned out, it wasn't even the best TV match that week, let alone the best of the year. But you still can't ask for too much more than this. It was only really about 13, 14 minutes. In that regard, it reminded me of the HBK Austin versus Bulldog and Owen match four years ago. Almost exactly four years ago, in fact, where you think if they were given an extra 10 minutes on pay-per-view, they really could have ripped it up. And in that context, at least, they let it all hang out here. So much action going on. It's like all four guys were going an amazing clip, Triple H included. Totally selfless of Triple H and Austin to give up the belt at this point. And we've been talking about Jericho's position on the card every month for the last half a year. And now he has been shot right back up the card in just two days. Teams up with Benoit, wins the tag team turmoil, and now getting a world title-esque pop for winning the tag team belts, because make no mistake, it was certainly that. And maybe that one-on-one match with Austin that I'd really like to see from an in-ring perspective might be happening very, very soon after all. And suddenly Jericho is in a position where you can believe that happening. Six weeks ago, Jericho was nowhere near that role. But this is what I mean about getting behind somebody. Two very important wins, Edge and Christian, seven-time tag team champions, and now the two-man power trip, for goodness sake. It was treated like a big deal. The crowd popped like it was a big deal. And it bodes extremely well for the, both the immediate and midterm future for both Benoit and Jericho. High quality TV match that you must check out if you missed. Just to put this point, it goes back to what I say, you know, just a, a few weeks ago, you know, a few months ago, we didn't think Jericho would be in this spot. But people are given opportunities and it's up to you to see what you do with that opportunity. And these guys excelled at it, and that was just a, a crazy, crazy main event that I that I truly believe, just be, even though it's a tag team title match, propelled them into a main event status, you know, type of position. Without question. Almost out of nowhere. Get behind somebody, really show the crowd that you're getting behind somebody, and they will go with you. And suddenly it looks a lot rosier for Jericho than it did just a few weeks ago. Benoit, I think they always had him in their locker. He was, again, bumping around the mid-card for a while. But I've said this a couple of times. I always thought they could re-elevate him. Jericho, I didn't. And I've been proved wrong. And despite my criticisms of him, I'm very, very pleased to say that. I'm fascinated to see where it goes. But we have to talk about awful injury for Triple H when he was breaking up the walls of Jericho he suffered a tear in his left quadriceps muscle it came completely off the bone on the Smackdown following this they showed a slow motion replay and oh, horrible watch you could see the muscle moving within his leg it was oh gruesome stuff and everything I've said about Triple H forget it for now no much like SummerSlam 2000 when I was full of praise for the way that he assessed the situation in a split second and stopped the main event of their second biggest pay-per-view of the year going down the tubes. Here, he gutted it out and went to the planned finish. 
of Chris Jericho, giving him walls of Jericho. We're not talking a clothesline here. We're talking a submission move that puts very legitimate pressure on that part of the body. He still went ahead with that because they needed to go through there to get to the full planned finishing maneuver of him missing the sledgehammer shot. That takes some guts. I'm going to say it's some balls as well. And I applaud you, Triple H, without any qualification whatsoever. So what's going to happen to him? On the SmackDown and the Raw on the SmackDown afterwards, which I must say was a bit much, we got very, very in-depth into what's happened to him. He's going to be out for about four to six months. We actually saw some of the surgery, which, again, I don't think we need to be doing the Rocky thing with him. I don't think this, this is where my problems are. It's, it's not so much with him. It's with his presentation, the reasons for his presentation. And we know who those two people are. We didn't need the shot of Stephanie there looking rueful with her hands in front of her face. Just a bit too much. But he very much saw famed orthopedic surgeon, Dr. James Andrews. A lot of rehabilitation ahead. The smart money has him making a TV appearance round about mid end of October with a very, very tentative in-ring return scheduled for Survivor Series. But we'll see how that goes down. And Davinda, this does mark the end of this run of Triple H's career. There's no question about that. But I'm convinced he's going to come back as a face, which I can understand after an injury this severe. Who wouldn't want to cheer him? But let's take a moment to praise him more for gutting out the end of this match. He fully deserves it on this occasion. It needs to be said, um, I feel like when you are a heel... This is my opinion. When you're a heel and you're just so damn good at it that you're gaining people's respect, I think the harder they boo, the more they respect your craft as a heel. So, as I said before, uh, earlier in this broadcast, that Triple H is just becoming one of the greats where he understands the psychology of a match. He knows to sell the right things. Um, we uh, criticize and we debate and we um, have our own opinions about the professional wrestling business uh, throughout all promotions on this show. But these men really do uh, put their bodies on the line. These men love what they do. Triple H especially is a student of the game, no pun intended, but he grew up watching NWA, Harley Race, and Ric Flair, trained by Killer Kowalski. He's an old-school guy. Even during the click days, they said all he did was talk about wrestling, never drank or smoked, never partied. It's a really unfortunate injury, and you hate to see it happen to anybody. You literally see the muscle like a tape measure when you bring it back. It was like it just rolls up completely off the bone. The story goes that Jericho's like, okay, we're not doing the walls on the table. You know, that's what he thought to himself. And that Triple H is like, let's go over there. And he's like, what are you talking about? Well, you're going to put me in the walls. He's like, no, you're not. That. He goes, no, you're fucking putting me in the walls. Amazing. And, and it's just like, what are you on right now? The adrenaline, I, I have never been in that situation. So I can only speculate that the adrenaline running along with the passion that you have for this business, you don't need to do that. And the only reason you're doing that is for the people that paid hard-earned money to go and watch you wrestle. I don't know if it's a weakness thing or an ego thing, because I don't think anybody would have said a damn thing to Triple H if he canceled that spot, you know? But 
the fact that he's like, no, you're going to put me in the walls. And Jericho's like almost uncomfortable with it. But if you trust me with your body, then we're going for it. You know, the adrenaline going, he finishes the matches. Excuse me. He finishes the match, uh, goes with the planned spots. Just, I don't think there are any words that I can articulate to talk about what, you know, it, it just left me speechless. And rightfully so, he's going to come back. And I hope that they bring out all the bells and whistles for him. Because I, I want to say that, you know, barring Stone Cold Steve Austin's neck injury, that they may have been one of the most, you know, gruesome and career-threatening injuries. And I, I'm sorry if I'm forgetting anybody, but this is a... This is what this was a bad one, and my heart goes out to Triple H, and I know that he's stubborn and arrogant enough to come back even stronger, and I just I can't wait to see what happens. It was a very specific injury as well, as Dr. James Andrews said in one of those video packages, to the point where when Triple H first went under the knife, they couldn't actually see what the problem was because it was just so tucked right underneath the muscle. It had to go so deep to see the tear. And this, I, I'm, this, I'm this, is, to, this is not your workaday, if there is such a thing, not your workaday muscle tear. This was very, very different. He was breaking up the walls of Jericho, and all he did was plant his feet. That's all he did. There are so many more dangerous moves in the professional wrestling industry. All he did was, all he did was run and plant his feet, and boom, it's done. Mm-hmm. It just shows you how dangerous this sport is and what these men put their bodies Oh, yeah, through. and we take it for granted. All of us do. I do. I hold my hands up. When I review this stuff every month, it's only really when something bad happens, and this is on me, that I realise, oh my God, look at the stuff these human beings are putting themselves through just for a yay who, like me, their entertainment every Monday, Thursday, and every four Sundays. Now, it's we shouldn't put it to the back of our minds. It should always be there at the forefront. And when they run the videos on Raw and SmackDown, please don't try this at home. Leave the danger to us. Now, that shouldn't just be a fast-forward moment. That should be a, oh, God, we are leading the danger to you, aren't we? And look what you do for us. You know, you've got families to feed. You've got other lives held in your hands. And for 20, 25 minutes every week, that life of yours is being held in somebody else's hands. And it happens every single time, no matter how safe the match situation is, whether it's just a three-minute squash, whether it's a... 30-minute Hell in a Cell match. It doesn't matter. The risks are inordinate each and every time. Things can go wrong, and things, as we've seen, desperately sad circumstances, things do go wrong. And I really... Here's, oh, here's something that I, go on. that I want our, our beautiful listeners to, to try to comprehend. We, we pay our hard, hard-earned money to go to a show and you know it's and it's not you know you say twenty five thirty minutes a week but it, they they go four or five days a week oh yeah 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 you know they're, they're doing raw they're doing smackdown they're doing live events at you know smaller towns mm-hmm. and they're still working they're still in car crashes every night and then they got to get up the next day maybe do some media uh, go work out and then do it again all over again I want people to think about how in that arena. Triple H came out to entertain the fans, just as he was entertained when he was a younger man. Doing what he loves to do, doing what he's passionate about. The fans got up and they walked out the arena, but he did not. And he did not because of what he does for all of us. Well said. 
I couldn't put it any better than that myself. And I'm going to say, I really hope he comes back as soon as he possibly can and is legitimately able to do so. He strikes me as the sort of person who would probably go against medical advice. And that's not a criticism specifically because he, whatever you think of him, he lives this business every minute of every day, as you said just now, Davinda. It must be killing him already to be on the sidelines. But right now, the sidelines are the best and only place for him to be. He must not come back until he is ready. And here, his ties, and we know what they are, are probably the best thing that can happen to him. But I do reckon that both Stephanie and Vince, they're probably the only two people he would listen to. So if they're going to say to him, look, rehab, take your time and come back to the ring when you can come back to the ring, because they're going to love seeing you back. So don't, there's no need for you to rush it whatsoever. If they are saying that to him, then it might just go on board. I really, really hope it does. Yeah. Oh, just, oh, just, just thinking about it now. I can see it in my mind's eye. A despicable injury for any human being to suffer. But because there were still two things he had to do in the script he was following, he did them and hang the consequences. And that might not have been especially bright, but it was infinitely brave and for that one more time everybody fully deserves yes, round definitely the give the man his fire. and you know what show this to the people that 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 scoff at us for watching this sport yeah quite right quite right let's fight back pro wrestling fans and our inferiority complex it's time to shun it we know That's our right. place after all and it's not the one you have us in damn it Oh, soapbox time. Right. You'd think I would end it there, but no. Talking about, don't try this at home. Shall we talk about a TLC match to round off the month of winter? <laughs> As you do. What so yes, out of nowhere. Ironically, really. one that everybody walked away from. Indeed. Out of nowhere on the next SmackDown on May 24th, we had TLC3. And I bet you didn't think that one was coming, listeners. So story about this one. This match wasn't even planned, let alone put together until four hours before the show. And Chris Jericho was told the story over the last week that he came off the plane and he noticed he had a text message on his cell phone from Vince McMahon saying, you're in a TLC match today. You're main eventing SmackDown. <laughs> Great. With the Hardys, of course, with the Dudleys, with EMC and our champions, Benoit and Jericho. So our hastily put together TLC3. Does it stand up against the others? Let's find out. And looking at my notes here, oh, wish me luck, everybody. Everybody attacks everybody to start, but with a slight focus on the champions being taken out first. Brilliantly, Edge and Christian start to climb instantly, but they do get caught. And much like with the Angle Benoit thing earlier, one day somebody needs to win that way. Just once. The ladder is still standing as in the ring the Hardys and Dudleys do their thing. And a great thing it still is. Matt chucks the ladder right at Bubba and then poetry in motion for Devon. They try it on Bubba, but he still has the ladder with him. That was a bit silly. Jericho cleans house with another ladder, and now the champs have the advantage. All they do until E&C attack from behind. The crowd want tables. Oh, come on, guys. But for now, they get Jericho being drop-toe-held, drop-toe-holded into a ladder. E&C try again, but Matt counters with a big powerbomb. Benoit pushes Edge and Matt down to the ground, and then Benoit sees Matt prone on a table outside, and as you do, goes straight for a diving headbutt. He is out. He crashed right through the table, landing hard on his ribs. Meanwhile, Bubba nearly gets the belt, but Jericho and Jeff team up to stop him. Bulldog from the top of the ladder. Taz leaves commentary to call for help for Benoit, and now here comes the stretcher. He gets taken to the back as we go to commercial. 
We return with two ladders set up in the ring and Edge having a go at nabbing the belts. He almost gets there, but Jericho is there to quell it. And does he quell it ever as he props Edge across both ladders, putting him in the walls? Oh, my giddy aunt. Christian attacks from behind and dumps Jericho right into the buckle. E and C are now close to the belts again, but they both get dropped into the ropes. Well, Edge does, not for the first time this year. Poor old Christian falls right down to the floor. Hardys and the Dudleys have their try now, but a hip toss by Devon and a suplex by Bubba, yes, you heard me, sent Matt and Jeff down respectively. Unflaming real. Everybody is down, but what's this? It's Chris Benoit staggering back to the ring. He is selling, well, everything on his body, but here he is nevertheless. He sees the ladder and fancies his chances of making the miracle comeback. But Edge and Christian see it too, and they haul him down. But he does battle back hard against them. Doesn't matter much though when E&C can respond with a concerto to the ribs. This stuff is just plain ludicrous, but all in the best possible taste. The Dudleys hop in for a spot of a wasp to Edge. It's always Edge, isn't it? And now maybe we'll get some tables? Jericho has a boring old chair, but yet so does Christian, who all but decapitates Y2J with a chair shot. Guys, just stamp your feet for a bit. Christian climbs in the corner for no discernible reason, apart from allowing the Dudleys to 3D him through the table. Yeah, not enough thought about that spot, really. Matt with a monitor writes the Bubba's head. Crikey. And now Jeff has the big ladder. He sets it and a smaller ladder up next to the announce table. And after Matt makes sure Bubba is resting safely on it, probably resting in peace after that chair shot, Jeff bolts off the small ladder and over the large one right down onto Bubba with a senton. Remember, this is free TV. And remember, these are people's careers, probably more importantly. Oh, my goodness me. At least they were careers. Oh, stuck my face. Devon and Matt race for the belts. But the latter gets off a twist of fate. And we see a replay of it via the Vertigo cam. I'm glad I enjoyed my lunch. Matt is going to get the belts now, isn't he? No, because Jericho pushes him into and over the top rope. Jericho climbs again, but the ladder is not underneath the belts at all. Oh, this allows Edge to climb on the ladder prepped in the corner and spear him down. I'll be honest, I feel like a right heel for criticising them for all of this, but that was again far too contrived a spot. And also the spear looked more like Jericho giving Edge a DDT. But no matter, they're the people doing this, not me. Benoit is back, and can he do it this time? Nobody else is around. He battles with every step, but he now is under the belts, and now he has them in his pained grasp. Jericho and Benoit retain the titles. And how. And Davinda, I do mean and how in every sense of the phrase. It's just so much, so much crap in that, in that, uh, and I don't mean crap in the bad way, but it was just a, cr- I feel like they were backstage and they're like, to hell with the story, to hell with, we're just gonna go out there and you do this spot, I do that spot. Definitely. And you know what, you have to give credit to WWF as a whole, um, Vince and whoever is writing this stuff and the performers for working on a, it was like you got 24 hours to fix, to throw away your plans for the next few months. And now we have to start new since Triple H is down. Um, and it, ah, God, it was, it was an amazing match and it's crazy that they gave it away on free TV. Benoit is a beast. Um, all men deserve all the credit for their performances. It was just, like I said, ironically, every, nobody got hurt. People got hurt, you know, you know, a little nagging injuries, but nobody 
was put on the shelf after this match, where just 24 hours earlier, there was a tag team regular title match where somebody planted their foot and tore their quadricep. It was an, it was just, you, you look back at WrestleMania 17 and SummerSlam 2000 and it's right up there. It's right up there with everybody else. Everything, every spot just was crazier than the last one. And you would think that they can't top it off, but they did. And just a great shot of Jericho and Benoit on the top of the ladder holding their belts up high. You just have a good feeling about these guys for the future. It was just a, a crazy uh, a crazy week for them. And they, like I said, they got the opportunity and they took advantage of it. And they they got out of it. They were on the other side and in a uh, victorious position. Yeah, unlike the triangle ladder match at WrestleMania 2000, which took place in this very building, the pond in Anaheim, I wasn't on that show last year, but I, as much as I appreciated what they did in that match, it did feel like a dry run for what we would get at SummerSlam 2000 at WrestleMania 17. This one harked back to the triangle ladder match more than any of the other previous matches if you could even call them that, that these guys have had. And it was definitely spots first and story second, if at all. The WrestleMania 17 match was hinting that way, as I said on the WrestleMania show, but had just about enough put together to get away with it. This was heavily slanted. Oh my God, spots. And as you said, to hell with, uh, to hell with any logical storytelling. But for what they did do, I've only really come round to saying, hang on, there wasn't a whole lot of rhyme or reason to these until now I'm talking about them eight days later. And as much as Christian climbing a ladder in the corner when he's nowhere near the belts or Jericho positioning himself in the one place that Edge is going to spear him off, as much as that could and did annoy me, as my play-by-play notes made clear, I don't think they were going for a super tight match here. And discovering that they didn't even know this match was happening until their plane landed, for goodness sake. You've got to cut them some slack there. You did have the one major story piece with Benoit being injured and then coming back, which probably was enough to override everything else. And that, that was the finish and his actions weren't in vain. Is probably for free TV a match of this magnitude. It's probably the only thing you really need. It sounds so churlish to say, but if this was on pay-per-view, I would probably be a little less forgiving of it. But you cannot and should not, unless you're a complete stone-hearted dickhead, quite frankly, ask for any more than this being thrown out with four hours worth preparation on free TV. It's staggering what they did in this match. But I've got to say it again. I've got to be the killjoy, I'm afraid. I said it at SummerSlam. I said it at WrestleMania. I hope that would be the last time. But here we are just a month and a half later and we're having a TLC three. What number are we going to get to in these TLC matches until it is finally decided enough is enough? It's not about the people involved. It's no critique of them. They're all incredible. If I, was, I put a hat on just to take it off for them, quite simply. But I'm going to keep saying it until enough is enough. Enough is enough is enough. We don't need this anymore for the sake of our entertainment. It's incredible. It's mind-blowing. It's spectacular. Didn't have to pay a penny for it. So everything we said after the tag team match about 15 minutes ago 
is amplified even further for a match like this. But please, somebody, if you're listening, and I know you are, then don't have them do this again, please. Just before we finally wrap for the month, just a very quick discussion where, because my voice is starting to go, so no more play-by-play, everybody, I'm afraid. But very quickly, we're going to discuss not one, but two world title matches that took place on the final Raw and final SmackDown of the month, respectively, between Steve Austin and Chris Benoit. As we've hinted at, I do think they're trying to kill a bit of time to work out where their storylines are going to go now that Triple H has gone down. A huge hole in the main event scene that is going to take quite a bit of filling. And they're spinning their wheels at the moment. But if it means matches on free TV like a TLC3 or Austin versus Benoit on Raw and on SmackDown, then I will keep my complaints to a minimum. I thought the match on Raw was a good to very good TV match, although I could definitely have lived without the Montreal revisited finish, which I'm not even going to talk about. The four hours we talked about Montreal itself on that show in November 97 were quite enough. Thank you very much. And the match they had on SmackDown, finished just a couple of hours ago, was damn near pay-per-view quality, which Austin won by rolling up Benoit and holding the tights because he's such a heel. I will come to you on these matches quickly. I just want to say about Austin. If we're not there with his heel run now, I don't think we ever will be. Because I thought his promo before this was fantastic. He seems, and I don't know if this is by design, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say it is, but he seems, his new character, for it is a new character, seems almost detached. Like A lot of the stuff he's saying, he doesn't have control over. His eyes are like wild animals and he's smirking almost involuntarily. said last month that his promise is getting the little things down, but he doesn't have the macro surrounding it. Now I just wonder if he's coming and he's suggests to me that the main character trait they're going for with Austin is paranoia, which isn't necessarily associated with a bad guy. Now, as Kurt Cobain sang, just because you're paranoid don't mean they're not after you. But that's where they're going with Austin's heel run. And if they're going to give him more promos like the one he had on SmackDown, which now that Triple H is out of the picture, they're going to have to, like it or not, then this heel turn really could take properly after all. But Devinder, just your thoughts on that and the two tremendous matches that we were treated to that, again, didn't have to pay a brass farthing for. Uh, yeah. Um, when it comes to Stone Cold's paranoia, I, you know, now that you mention it, it almost makes me feel like it was a slow burn from the WrestleMania 17 build because of how bad he wanted the title. And how he was telling The Rock in that interview 
I need it more than you'll ever understand. And now that he has it, I feel like, yeah, I'm going to need to do what I need to do to keep it and to retain it every time. I'm paranoid because everybody's coming after me now. When you're on top of the mountain, you're not there alone. You got people chasing you. So I feel like the paranoia may be warranted um, in a kayfabe sense after what he's said the rock or after what he told the rock of how bad he needed to win the title and and you know to tell you the truth the lengths that he went to to get the title he teamed up with mcmahon um <clears throat> that being said about that the the matches were awesome stone cold deserves respect or and respect and credit because he's also one of the main players that had to change everything at the drop of a dime because of the loss of triple h I, you know, in his head, he's probably like, man, I thought for the next couple of months it was going to be me and Triple H and we're going to be running, running all this shit around the place and, and it was going to be these stories and I was going to have those matches. And now, now that Triple H is gone, every, all, all, everybody shuffled, all the cards shuffled. And now he's put in positions with different wrestlers and he has to adapt his mindset because now I have to, I have to get this match down and I, we have to do this match and, I, I applaud him for his performances and I applaud him uh, for his attempts and efforts to make sure he gets over as a heel champion. And, and, and it's a different heel champion. The paranoia on a heel champion is something I feel like is new rather than the chicken shit heel. You know, chicken shit heel is one that hides behind their managers and hides behind, you know, the the the, the cronies, like I said before. Now a paranoia coming over you as a champion is interesting. Um I I like I like this character on Stone Cold. Those matches were amazing. Uh Benoit showed that he deserves to be in the main event. He de- he showed he showed that he can put up a good match, an exciting match, an exciting TV match and one in the WWF style. What is what they want? The the fans were going nuts. There were crazy, crazy chants and crazy cheers for Benoit, and those near falls had everybody at the edge of their seat. Uh, great, great matches. Again, uh, we're being spoiled as wrestling fans for this uh, for these free matches, but um, they're just adapting to the new changes, and it's going to be interesting to see. I should say these matches took place in Calgary and Edmonton, respectively. That might go some way to explaining why Benoit had 100% crowd support during them. The Edmonton crowd specifically, I'm sure you won't be too surprised to hear, they were ready for the title change. And again, just at a couple of minutes there, I allowed myself to go with it and think, or they might, you know, they just might. They probably shouldn't. But I'll worry about that tomorrow. As it turned out, Austin just grabs the tights and gets out of there nice and quickly, which is the right finish after a 20-minute barn burner. Benoit takes him to the limit, and he just thinks, "Ah, oh, fuck this. I think I'll just grab his tights for a three-count. three count. That'll do. I'm a complete shithead now. Sod the rest of you, which is exactly what happened, and I loved it. And I, in general, just to close, am far more optimistic about heel Austin than I was this time last month. You go back and listen to the Backlash show. If you missed it, you'll hear myself and Bob and Pete all putting our reservations on air. Very hefty reservations. Now, we could just be getting somewhere. Now he is up there. He's out on his own. I do wonder now if they're going to have him more closely aligned with Vince McMahon, which 
if there's any time to do it, it's probably now. But I'll be watching very closely through the month of June because I think we might have something with Heal Austin after all. Question still remains whether they should have done it, but now they have. And I think a lot of the crowds too, they've realised that Austin isn't just going to blast, well, certainly not Triple H, but it isn't just going to blast Vince with a stunner, declare it was a ruse, just going back to being the babyface hero. That would have happened during April. Fans have thought, you know what, we're in this for at least the medium length haul. Let's go with it. And he's doing what he should be doing. He's getting heat. We're giving it to him. And let's hope that continues rolling for many months to come. And that will do it for our part two for May 2001. We are now back in the present day. Devinda, thank you so much for joining us for this show, my man. Superb contributions, as always. I appreciate you. I, I love being on the show, and um, I love uh, the group of guys that, you know, we can always sit down and intelligently break down some wrestling. Um, I, I, I love coming in, so thanks, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Always great discussion when you're around. Davinda, you have lots of other things going on as well. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you and what's happening? Yeah, you can find me at DNC Digital on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I have now become part of the broadcast team for Budo Pincher Wrestling in Kingsville, Texas. Um, I, I always uh, conduct interviews with people. Um, I am, am sponsoring Mission Pro Wrestling, which is Thunder Rosa's promotion. And uh, we've been working together for the past six, seven months. I always uh, interview her uh, her wrestlers that she has booked. Mission Pro Wrestling is a all-women's promotion where every position is held by a woman. There are female bookers, female uh, ring announcers, female commentators, um, all females in the ring, female referees, female uh, agents and trainers. Uh, jazz is a big part of that promotion. Uh, so yeah, uh, find me at DNC Digital everywhere. I, I and uh, check me out on YouTube. I always put up my um, my interviews that I have with people. I've been able to interview um, Anthony Michael Hall from Sixteen Candles and Breakfast Club, Miko Hughes from Pet Cemetery. I've obviously interviewed Thunder Rosa, Jazz, um, Duke the Dumpster Drosy, <laughs> uh, Just Incredible is in there, Al Snow. Um, uh, uh, Michelangelo from the Ninja Turtles and Pinky from Pinky in the Brain. I have an eclectic group of uh, people that I've interviewed. Oh, I wow. You, you definitely saved the best till last there. Michelangelo and Pinky. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Those were those were some of my favorite <laughs> uh, You can see me in the video. I am trying not to smile like a little girl at an NSYNC concert because they were <laughs> two of my favorite characters as a kid. But, yeah, I would appreciate anybody's support. Just uh, hit me with a follow, shoot me a DM, say what's up, and um, just support Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. It's a great group of guys and awesome, awesome broadcasts that they do. Thank you, my friend. You can hit us up on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. Anything you want to get in touch about. I mainly man the Twitter account. You might hear from Chris or Bob Bamber if you're lucky, but otherwise you're going to be stuck with me. But do anything on there, any questions you want to ask us, anything you want to come back at us about, then always welcome, always happy for a bit of discussion on the Twitter. What else have we got for you? Well, we will be having some very special programming coming out throughout the year. More on that as we get there. But we're just a week away now from the debut of our indie 20 years ago show. We've been trading this for a very long time. If you do want a bit more information on that, then do go back into the archives and listen to the prologue show that I presented a few weeks ago. The boys 
are champing at the bit to broadcast that one. They're going to be recording it next month. I can't wait to hear it. And you will all get to hear it a week today. The Indie Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, episode one, looking at all sorts of other stuff way beyond our ken normally from May 2001. Whether you're a newcomer or you are a real indie aficionado, I just know that the guys who are going to be presenting that show every month are going to bring you the very, very best of indie wrestling. Their presentation style is fantastic. So happy to bring that to you on the feed. But of course, all our standard shows will be continuing as well. I will hopefully be back in a couple of months time on these main shows for you as well. But uh, obviously now we're down to one show per month, mainly for WWF. We want to give everybody the fairest crack of the whip we can, both presenters and contributors. So going to be moving a lot of people in or out, but we're always going to make sure you'll hear from all of us at least once or twice throughout the year. I just want to say, Devinda, thank you one more time for joining us again today, sir. Thank you very much. I have been very much tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening to this. And I'll see you around. Yeah!